everyone. Welcome to Backstory Sessions. I'm your host, Matt. We hope you enjoy this episode. I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey, Kat. Happy Halloween, everyone. Well, indeed, we have a Halloween episode, I think. Uh, yeah, we do. Um, did you ever do any of the haunted house things uh, when you were younger? I did. Uh, my elementary school used to have one, Boston Elementary, and... Um, you know, I was a bit scared of it, really, um, and, but not, not like, terrified, you know, just like, it was not really my thing, but it was, I guess it was enough, like, not real seeming to be okay. Yeah, a little campy, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> now, my son, you know, took him to a haunted it was like a barn and a forest kind of thing. Yeah. And, I mean, he had to be just, you know, he was terrified. So, oh, yeah. 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 Um, so, it was a, a lot more realistic. But, you know, I, I just never, I see these, like, haunted forests and, you know, different things like that. And this is just not, I love Halloween, like, the candy and dressing up. I used to love trick-or-treating. Right. Uh, but this other part of it is not for me. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, I, I did all the trick-or-treating stuff when I was younger. And, you know, when the kids were getting, you know, they would go out trick-or-treating and stuff. And it was always fun. Um, I, I don't remember if I told you this story. Maybe I did. But, uh, and maybe it's in, in this episode. I don't remember because <laughs> we recorded this a while ago. <laughs> But uh, um, I lived in a town in Pennsylvania in this one area of town where they would, like, close off the streets and, you know, the kids would come out and trick-or-treat for a few hours or whatever. And, uh, like, everybody came there. We would have, you know, 800 kids trick-or-treating at any given time. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. But that I mean, that's my one of the good memories of Halloween that I have. <laughs> it was always fun doing it. I mean, do you, do you like haunted? Um, do you seek out like haunted houses and things like that? No, those? not really. I mean, you know, they're fun to do every now and then, but uh, I can't. I can't remember the last time I've been to one of those things. Yeah. Um, you know, even like movies, um, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, you know, some things are like just click with you and some things don't. And for me, um, those things don't. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess for me as well. I mean, I, you know, horror movies are, uh, you know, a lot of people love them and, you know, like to be scared and, you know, like the paranormal stuff and all that. But, uh, I'm not, you know. It's okay, but, like, if I was going to sit down and watch a movie, it wouldn't be, like, Halloween or something like that. So. Yeah. 
Well, I will say, though, um, you know, this episode is Waverly Hills, and I am fascinated with it. Um, Don't want to go there. (laughs) I don't want to stay all night there. But I am fascinated because, you know, it is, one, historical, like, that was a terrible time, um, you know, when there was no cure, uh, no treatments for uh, tuberculosis. And I, I guess it's kind of like how people have felt with COVID and the pandemic. And it was like yeah, very little hope and people were very sick and it was widespread. And, you know, just uh, so the historic aspect of like learning about that and then learning of like on this episode we're going to have I don't know exactly what we will learn from them uh, but they're you know their first hand experiences so sure um, the one guest uh, has only been there this is a first time and then the other one has like a generations of family um, you know so she has grown up hearing stories from the tb days uh, right yeah. you know, and now she currently lives there so that's really two very different perspectives that i'm so excited um just to hear about i'm fascinated definitely fascinated yeah i am too um it, so waverly was a hospital at one point uh i guess uh and yeah. you know the, the thing that interests me is when I was growing up, my mother worked at a at the psychiatric center at you know it was like the New York State Psychiatric Center or whatever, and um, it was sort of the same thing where it was just this huge sprawling place and um, you know at some point it closed and uh, remained just an eyesore for the longest time and then. Uh, you know, now I think it's it's being developed into a couple different things, a residential area and, and shops and things like that. And I always wonder if, like, that area is haunted somehow by, you know, the people who were there. And I guess Waverly is the same sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, so I'm a skeptic um, about a lot of things. I, I am a skeptic when it comes to paranormal things. Um, but there was a, a quote from someone who was a listener mm-hmm. um, for Backstory Sessions, and um, his name is Russell. He, um, he said something that I, you know, it resonates with me. Um, he said that he'd seen and experience too much to not believe, but he's also seen and debunked too much to not be skeptical. Um, so I think that's perfect uh, to where I am. Um, you know, I'm right on the fence of it, it is possible, but I'm yet skeptical. Yeah, I'd say I am too. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that, uh, happen that just can't be explained i mean well not easily explained you know right. um you know people see uh you know a woman in you know like white like floating through an area or whatever 
I mean, those kinds of things, they, I don't know what to make of them, you know. But uh, there are some things that, that I've seen that are just like, oh, no, that, you know, the window was open or whatever, you know. <laughs> uh, if you were to see, you know, the woman, for instance, floating through the air, um, I mean, at first I would think I was hallucinating that i mean i would be concerned about myself if i thought that <laughs> really yeah. I mean, what was in my copy <laughs> yeah so you know maybe maybe you like i hope that's the case like you know you can turn off the <laughs> contact or something like maybe i don't have those experiences because i don't want them um yeah, I mean, I guess they say that, you know, some people are more more in tune with uh, that sort of thing. Like, um, I don't know, the spirit world or, you know, uh, more in, in tune with paranormal things than others. I mean, I guess a lot of it depends on if you believe or not. Um, you know, yeah. so you might see something and be more apt to think it was paranormal, I guess. Well, I mean, we've had a lot of guests, um, and many of them, you know, uh, report that they have seen or experienced something paranormal, and there, you know, there's no reason to doubt those experiences. Um, it's just that, for me personally, I, I just don't desire that. So, <laughs> well, nobody wants to see a ghost or be haunted or whatever. So. I don't know. I mean, they're usually friendly. Like, you know, what <laughs> Casper. they hear about, they've been like, you know, they might throw your keys or something like that, but right. they're not like, you know, after you with a knife ready to kill you or something. You know, they're not Yeah. Like... Well, I mean, I've seen, you know, uh, I mean, some people are terrified by, you know, they're, they're terrified by what they see and, uh, so I wouldn't say that all, you know, hauntings are, you know, friendly. I mean, I guess it's your interpretation of it, you know. You'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, that's my friendly ghost Michael or whatever. Um, yeah. And then others would be like, oh, you know, I felt like I was, you know. Being choked to death. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So. Yeah. So I guess there's both kinds, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, you know. Again, it comes down to what you believe, I think, so, and how open well, you are you know, to seeing something. I'm like just kind of hoping that if one does make contact with me, it's the friendly one. <laughs> yeah, you hear that, Casper? <laughs> yes, that's right, or Michael, or, you know, yeah. whatever you're just putting that out there. <laughs> right, yeah. All right, well, uh, let's uh, talk to our guests and find out what's going on at Waverly and what's been happening there, and, uh, you know, it should be an interesting episode. Oh, I'm so fascinated. I can't wait to hear what they're going to say. So let's get to it. All right. Brian and Charlene, I want to welcome you to Backstory Sessions. We are really excited to have both of you as our guests today uh, as we uh, talk about Waverly Hills. Well, thank you very much. Looking forward to um, talking with you. Thanks for having us. Uh, Charlene, your perspective really intrigues me because 
uh, you've been at Waverly Hills in different capacities for 21 years, I think. And then, yeah, and then your family uh, goes back to like many uh, different time periods of this, uh, of Waverly Hills history. So if you could just give us a little bit of backstory about you and your family and, you know, the time that you have spent there. Sure. Uh, well, I kind of grew up hearing stories about Waverly Hills as a child. Uh, never paid attention to it. Couldn't have cared less. Um, <laughs> it was just a, a, a frequently used name around the house. Uh, when I got a little bit older, of course, I become curious um, and I took more interest in the place, if you will. Uh, I never did break in. Most of the neighbors around here, all the kids tried to break in between the time that it may have been empty for a period of time. Uh, I never did that. I was a good girl, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, but I, I never did come up here until I actually had permission to come up here. But um, then about 2000... Early 2002, um, late 2001, early 2002, I came up and got to meet people, and I just seemed to fit right in and was asked um, to be a tour guide, which I did. I did that for probably 14, 15 years, um, and um, I'm still here. Wow. And so, Brian, I guess a question for you would be, you know, at what point did you hear of Waverly Hills? Do you have a long history as well? Well, I grew up in Louisville, and it was always a place that people talked about around Halloween, and I knew it to be uh, one of the most haunted places, of course, in our city and in this region. And my, I had actually never been until last week, and I went, and they gave me one of the tours, and it was broad daylight. Um, so not dark, none of the spooky time of day. It was 10 in the morning and went on the tours. And as they take you through the floors, you can feel there were points in time where we were walking where it felt like my hair was standing up on my arms and on my, on my back. And you could really feel uh, something there. And so it was a really cool first experience. And outside of that being my first tour and just the stories that you hear growing up, that was my only background with Waverly Hills. Were you expecting to feel anything um, since you took the daytime tour? Were you thinking like maybe that would, um, you know, like there wouldn't be any <laughs> feelings at that time? I honestly had no idea what to expect. I thought that um, it was going to be I knew it was going to be something that I'd never experienced before, but I didn't expect to actually feel the way that I did, uh, especially during the day. I think that was one of the most shocking parts about it. And just seeing the property and walking around in the different rooms on the different floors, even on the roof, you just get a you just get a strange sense. And, and they do such a good job of explaining things and explaining the history to you that you're taking all of these tidbits with you as you're turning corners and going through creaky doors. And it really is, uh, for this time of year, it's got to be one of the best experiences. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Shirley. So that leads us into uh, what is the history of Waverly Hills? Okay, so uh, many, many, many years ago, if we will, 
Um, of course, the Waverly Hills that you see now standing here is not the first hospital that was built up here. Uh, the first smaller building, even previous to that, the property was owned by a Colonel, Major Hayes, and uh, he was the owner of a large plot of property. Waverly at one time stood on about 600 acres. It had over 50 buildings on the property, everything from farmland to anything and everything. This was a community. This was a city. Uh, they built up here on this hill so they could get all the fresh air and sunlight possible. Um, but even before they built this building, there was a much smaller building that they built. They started in 1910 uh, and it opened in 1911. Very, very small. But even predating that, going back further, it was owned by Mr. Hayes, and Mr. Hayes had a few daughters. He was pretty well off, and um, he decided that his children were traveling way too far um, to school. He had several kids, but his two girls had to travel pretty far to school every day, and he did not like that. So he decided to uh, take his money and build a little schoolhouse here on the property at the time and uh, sent his two girls to that school. And at that time, there was not many houses out here other than the Waverly, well, it wasn't even built yet. So um, it was very, very rural. And of course, that's why they chose this spot. Um, and so he built a schoolhouse and he hired a teacher. Uh, her name was Lizzie Harris. And uh, Mrs. Harris loved Waverly Scott novels so very much. Um, that he decided to call this up here Waverly Hills. And then when the need for uh, the hospital came along, the first hospital, um, even before the first hospital, they treated people up here many years in tents. Now, I can't imagine these giant tents spread out over this property, and you're treating patients in this tent. And they did that before they even built the, the smaller hospital, like I said, it was built in about 1910, <clears throat> and it got full very quickly. It was only supposed to hold about 50 patients, and it got to over 150, and they knew that this epidemic was not going anywhere soon, so they decided to break ground on this building, which they did in 1924, and it opened in 1926. And, and of so course, the reason... Tuberculosis, primarily. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, it was probably one of its peak, at least here in Jefferson County in Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky had the highest rate of tuberculosis at that time than any other uh, place in the United States. Now, there were other places that they tried because, again, there was no cure and they would have done anything that they thought would help. Uh, they just didn't know what to do. So they tried a lot of experimental things. If you've ever heard of Mammoth Cave, here in Kentucky. They even at one time kept people down in this dark, moist, damp cave because they thought that might be the cure for tuberculosis. And of course we know now it wasn't. Um, and neither was really sunlight and fresh air and good food, which is why they built this up so high in the way it, that it's developed is so that it would catch all of the air that came here on this hilltop. Uh, so they, um, they built this one here and that was for that reason. So after, um, after you know, there was a cure or um, the cases were able to be um, treated, 
Um, were people like, or have you ever been afraid? Like, okay, there's a lot of disease in here. Um, how was that addressed so that it would be safe to enter? Well, when the previous or when the owners bought the building, of course, they were told all of the, you know, the asbestos, of course, had to be removed, which was done. Um, as far as anything else, uh, tuberculosis can only live along outside of a host. Um, and this place had been abandoned for a number of years. So that was never a threat um, of, you know, catching tuberculosis from being here. Uh, that wasn't an option, so we didn't have to worry about that. But they did clean up all the asbestos and anything that could have been harmful. Yeah. So after um, after it was um, empty for a while, um, then how I guess how does it become a tourist attraction? Um, well, Mr. and Ms. Mattingly bought the property uh, in about early 2001, and um, they was hoping to, um, you know, use the building and generate funds. Of course, at that time, you know, when they bought it, they didn't know it was haunted either. I mean, you know, of course, everyone had rumors, and there had been rumors for many years, um, but they didn't know that either until they come upon the building and purchased it and started working up here. And then things started to happen and they realized we've got a lot more here than what we thought. So that's when they decided to start using it and let people come in and see for themselves uh, just what is here. And over the years, there has been thousands uh, come through this building. Um, and many of those come back year after year. We've had people that's been coming for 21 years and wouldn't miss an opportunity uh, to come up sometimes even two and three times a year. Um, so yeah, this it, it's definitely an active spot for paranormal um, investigations. So Brian, let me ask you, since um, that was your first visit, um, do, do you feel like that most of the people that come there are expecting something um, paranormal to happen? Or are most people, would you say, skeptical um, that anything um, really exist in the paranormal sense there? I think it depends. I think that a lot of people who are going there are hoping to see something or feel something and are trying to stoke that curiosity. When I was on the tour, I was with one of my colleagues and uh, a photographer and a reporter from a local news station. And just going through there and watching their reactions uh, in, in a group of, you know, four or five of us, if that's what my parameter to base it off of is, they were spooked the entire time. It was it was fun to watch. And I can tell you, I personally have a, a background in journalism. And after thousands of interviews and conversations with different people, you're almost trained to listen and watch in a different way. And so I was watching the staff and the tour guides and the people who work there when they would tell stories of, of different encounters and things they've witnessed over the years working there. And the way that they would tell the stories and the way that almost some of it was nonchalant, it wasn't a show. It wasn't <laughs> trying to, trying to convince us of anything. It was just recounting what their day to day is like. And so for me to watch that, 
and look at it through a different lens, I really personally got the sense that, man, if you come here, you better be ready for anything. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I'm sure that's um, what drives people to come there, just wanting to see for themselves um, Mm -hmm. if if anything really um, exists in the paranormal or just the fascination with what the building would look like, um, what their day-to-day was like. Um, This, like the feeling that you had, did you feel like that was, you know, a, a ghost of someone who had had TB and passed away there? Or did you get any sense of like where the feeling was coming from? It was almost just a feeling. It wasn't, I don't want to describe it as a negative feeling. And I think that was almost what was as cool for me as anything. Um, exactly. you, you, you just feel as if there is more around you than the people that you see. And so it wasn't some sort of negative Hollywood movie. You're running down the halls, things like that. <laughs> it wasn't anything like that. It, you just feel this almost like a presence and you, and again, not negative. And even some of the stories that the guides will share with you, they're not even, I want to say scary or negative either. They're just interesting. And even some of the background on the people who were there or who had died there over the years, who they have stories about, even, even though they were sad to begin with some of their encounters, weren't it was almost as if the 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 if there were spirits or or whoever is there want to be included in what's going on exactly that's a great way to put it because that is so true so uh what is uh, how did it become um such a i think this is like known worldwide it seems Mm -hmm. we Um, get people from all over the world that visit us um, and, and going back to the skeptic, going back to the, the skeptic, um, you know, that come through here, we have had our share, trust me. And you're going to have some people that come up here with a no way possible attitude. And, and there's some that's going to leave with that attitude as well, of course. Uh, you have to be willing to be open. Um, and if you're determined when you walk through these doors that nothing's going to happen, then more than likely you're not going to let nothing happen. Uh, but we have turned so many skeptics into believers. I have given so many tours when people have told me, you know, when I came in here, I thought this was crazy. I thought I'm just going to go along with my husband or wife or whatever. They want to see it, so I'm willing to go with them. And before they would leave, uh, they, they definitely have had some kind of encounter that made them feel otherwise. So how, like, I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, how did how did um, the word spread like around the world? How how um, did it become thing? Because like Brian was saying, we don't have to put on up here. We don't have to make up stories. There's so much that has happened in this building and it is kind of like our day to day. People say, are you there now when they call me on the phone? Uh, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> yes, I am. I'm sitting right here. And they're all like, aren't you scared? And, you know, scared is not the word. And, and, I, and I don't feel scared. Now, startled, that's another thing. 
you never get used to that. You never know what you may see or hear. So you're always kind of prepared. And when it happens, you're like, well, yep, there it goes again. But as far as scared, not to the point to where I'm like, oh, my God, I got to get out of here. I'm just scared to death. Because uh, this was their home. Many of these people that died here loved it here. In fact, they loved it so very much that they had to be forced to leave once they had gotten well. When they did get a cure for tuberculosis and they was able to start giving people infections, a strip of niacin, excuse me, strip of niacin, um, then people were getting well, but they didn't want to leave. You know, you have to know that some of these people came here as an infant. Better yet, some of these people were born here. So this was the only home they had ever known up until maybe they're 20 or 30 years old. And now all of a sudden they have no place to go. And you say, well, you're well, you can go home. They didn't want to leave. They truly loved this building. And because I did have family that worked here, my grandparents both worked here. My grandfather actually helped build the building. And then he became a butcher uh, after it was open and he worked in the kitchen. Uh, my grandmother worked in this very same room that I'm at now. This is the old laundry room, which has been converted now, but it's, it's still a big old large brick room. Uh, and she worked here, and don't think I don't hear from her quite often <laughs> as well. Um, but And then my dad was born and raised here, and at 14 they put him on the payroll, and he began to work in the body chute uh, until he went off to war. Um, and then, of course, I was born on the property as well, uh, because if you worked at Waverly, you lived at Waverly. You did not go home to your family every night when you got off work. Instead, your family would come to visit you and usually wave at you from outside um, because they didn't want to catch this disease and they didn't want them coming inside. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, if you worked here, you pretty much lived here. And a lot of them would bring their entire families. There was accommodations for their families as well, for the doctors and nurses and what have you. Uh, so we all lived here on the property. I was born here on the property as well, and I still live in one of the little doctor's houses uh, down on these pages right at the bottom of the hill. So, um, But this was a very loved place. And because it wasn't – now, I will tell you that after Waverly Hills closed, uh, in 1961, they opened the next year as Woodhaven Geriatric Center, and that was quite a different atmosphere. Um, unfortunately, it was like many nursing homes that are terribly understaffed, so the patients were left um, to their own uh, demise, if you would say. A lot of people wasn't able to get up and go to the restroom. They would just do that in their bed, and they would lay there for hours and hours in this. Uh, they had the doors, a lot of the doors were cut in half, so they could lock the door that the person couldn't get out of the room, but they could see out of the room. Um, so it was more of a neglectful, and I hate to say that because I don't think they set out to be neglectful, but because of the staffing problem, they were neglectful. And then we, there was a lot of people that passed away here during that time um, that maybe didn't have that same happy feeling that the previous people that were here did. Sure. Um, so you mentioned like being startled, perhaps uh -huh. more. Than oh yeah. Uh, what are some things that like you've experienced that are you know? Oh, my goodness. Uh, there's been so many things, um, but some of the most memorable that I probably will never forget was. I had only been here uh, a few weeks, 
maybe a month or so when I first started up here. And at that time, um, they didn't even have electricity in the building. Uh, this room wasn't even finished. It had trees growing up out of the roof where I'm sitting now. So it was in a pretty bad condition. And when I first started up here, uh, my grandmother passed away very shortly after. And at that time, we didn't have an indoors to set in. We would do security or watch the building or do whatever needed to be done from out in our cars. And that's where I was at at the time, was riding around the building. And all of a sudden, I seen a white dove. Well, something just told me that was my grandmother. And it just still today, that's, that's a memory I will never forget. But I also happened to look over at the building at the same time, and I saw a gentleman. And he was in on the fourth floor. And I can still see him today. He had on like a, a blue, kind of like a Kentucky blue color, um, kind of like the shirt. And then he had like a, it, it seemed, what I remember is it was like a plaid hat that he had on his head. And just, I, I, you couldn't see below, I don't know if he had on jeans or what kind of, what he had on, but uh, because of the wall that goes around the building, I couldn't see that part. But he was just looking out like nobody's business. And I knew there was nobody supposed to be up here. I was the only one even up here that day. And um, I watched him, he looked out and he looked around, but then he looked over at me and he didn't, like most trespassers, when they see someone, they're gonna take off running or they're gonna try to get out and take off. You know, that's just what they do. But he didn't do that. He just kind of looked at me a few minutes and I even yelled at him and I said, sir, and he just kept looking at me and then he just turned around very nonchalant and walked back into uh, the hospital from the window. And so the owner, I called him immediately. He was on his way up and I called him. I said, there's somebody in the building. I don't know who it is, but there's a man in the building. He said, well, you watch, you watch the end and we're headed up the road right now. He said, we'll be there within two minutes or less. So they, they I mean, they were here in just a very, very short time. And he had another guy with him that worked with him at the time. And they went in and they checked the entire building. I was watching the outside of the building and there was no one that came out of that building. And this guy was never seen again. And the funny part of it is this is the same man that I've had so many people describe to me before I describe anything or tell them anything. Uh, I've had them describe this very same man to me, many people. So that's one of the coolest things. That was probably my earliest recognition of, or yeah, <laughs> that you know this place is haunted. And, and so then after that, I become a tour guide and giving tours. I mean, of course, you're helping people look for things, and whether it happens or not, you can't control that. I love people that call me every day and ask me if I can guarantee they'll see a ghost if they come up here. That's a little hard to do because they don't work on, on command, trust me. But um, once I become a tour guide, and then it seemed like the most things that I was seeing in the building were children. Uh, I've seen full apparitions of what appeared to be an adult, but for the most part, it's been children. And I was giving a tour one day on the second floor, walking down, and my shoe uh, had gotten untied. So I bent down to tie my shoe. And as I started to raise back up, I raised my head. I was still down on one knee and I raised my head and there was a child standing. I mean, its little face wasn't three inches from my face. And that I will never forget, never. And even another time on the fourth floor when I'm sending people down because we, like we like to engage our 
uh, our guests and send them down and let them try to have an experience as well. And after we had done that, I started down the hall and I saw what appeared to be a little child just sitting in the middle of the hallway, kind of like uh, crisscross applesauce, just sitting there kind of minding their own little business. And, but, and I don't know how to describe this because it's never a bad feeling that you get, but it's like something kind of, I hate to say takes, take you over, but don't take you over, but for just a second, you're not thinking rationally. I guess that's the best way to say it. So I went down and reached down to pick up this child, which <laughs> not normal people is going to do that. <laughs> uh, but I didn't realize really what I was doing. So as I reached down to pick up this child and got all the way down to where he was, and of course it was gone. There was nothing else there. So that one I'll never forget. But there's been so many times like that. And sometimes it's just, I mean, I can be sitting down here. We have watched we used to have tables and chairs down here. This was our welcome center when people would first get here. And I was sitting here one day talking to a friend and we were both over here and minding our own business. There was no one on the other side of the room where the table and chairs were. But all of a sudden we heard, because um, it's a concrete floor, and when people would scoot their chair out, of course you could hear it squeaking. We heard that and we both looked up and looked over there and this chair just moved back from the table about two feet and just stopped. And we're just sitting here looking at it and looking at each other like, did you see that? Yeah, did you see that? And I mean, that was, that was startling, to say the least. So, Brian, let me ask you, um, and, and then Shirley and I get your answer as well. Um, when you're outside of Waverly Hills, like, uh, you know, removed from that area, um, have you ever experienced any of these same feelings or um, you know, seen things that were um, <laughs> a little different? I would say that personally, I felt that feeling before in several different places that were, um, I guess you could say, similar uh not the exact background with the tuberculosis or the the hospital but places where a lot of people had passed away and so personally i've never seen anything that the stories that that she's describing i i haven't been around long enough to to have uh, that background but i did a, a tour over in europe and it was in Edinburgh underneath the city they had uh, they called them tombs but they were basically built originally hundreds of years ago for merchant ships to bring in goods and it was underground that idea a lot of the goods were food it ended up spoiling everything so they they sat vacant for years people would live down there people would die down there uh, a lot of kind of morbid history and so I went on a tour down there underneath the city of Edinburgh in the UK in these tombs. And I, it was a very similar feeling to what I felt last week at Waverly Hills. Although I will say that one was at night and for Waverly to, to experience the same type of feeling in broad daylight, that was the most shocking part to me uh, of going out there. And I think that it's one of those things being an outsider who doesn't have this long decades of history in the place to me I, my goal was just to treat it like i would 
any other place that I respect. I wouldn't go into somebody's home and act a certain way. I wouldn't go into to a funeral service at a graveyard and act a certain way. So I certainly wasn't going to do that in a place that had the type of history that Waverly Hills has. Right. And Shirlene, um, so for you, um, have you had <laughs> those experiences? Well, yeah, I have. I have. Um, not a lot, um, but my house also has a spirit, if you will. I don't like the word ghost. I've never liked ghosts. I like to refer to them as spirits. Um, it's just my thing. But, yes, I do have – well, my children, I've been there now for probably – 35 years where I'm at now and when the kids were little they used to say they seen a woman all the time and of course I just blew it off thinking it's you know children children's imagination they're just dreaming or, or whatever and I never paid any attention to it um, until probably a good 10 or 15 years later and then I started seeing it and it's more of a residual type of um Entity, if you will, it's always going through the same area in the house, going to the same room. Every time I've seen her, she's been coming from my kitchen into my daughter's room every single time that I've ever seen her. And I haven't seen her in a while. Uh, she's welcome there. We've let her know she's welcome there. And I, she, it's funny because we used to find very strange things in our house, things that didn't belong to any of us. And that probably was the the thing that probably scared me the most is like, you know, a shirt would show up in the middle of the living room floor. And it's like, this don't belong to anybody here. <laughs> or even, excuse me, but brassiers have showed up in the middle of my floor. And it's like, they're nobody, they don't belong to no one here. So that used to happen. She does, for some reason, always go into my daughter's room. <clears throat> and she's very, <clears throat> excuse me, she is very good at moving stuff. She likes to hide stuff. And my daughter had some stuff sitting on her dresser and she had left to go to the store. And when she came back, she couldn't find it anywhere. And it had been moved into a little shelf on the side of her dresser up behind a bunch of other things when she found it. And she wouldn't, she would have had no reason to open that up and put that behind all of these, you know, I mean, it was something simple. Like, I think it was a candle. I want to say it was a candle. Um, but yeah, stuff like that has happened in my house for like I said, it's been a while since I've seen her. And, you know, I say, yes, I've seen this. But to be very honest, uh, I have seen her. But I would say, you know, people come up here and they think they're going to see something every time they come in. And a lot of people do. But not everyone will. And this spirit that I have at my house, I have probably only seen her maybe four times in the 30-some-odd years I've been there. So it's not real frequent. It's just she lets you know that she belongs there and wants to be there, and that's fine. We just deal with it. So, Matt, I'm sure you have some questions. This is uh, quite a interesting uh, story. Yeah, Shirlene, <clears throat> I'm a I was curious. You said your grandparents worked there and your father worked there. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And they used to, you know, used to hear stories and stuff. Um do you remember what any of those might be and if you found them to be true later on when you started working there? Well, it's really funny because I'm, I'm dating myself here, but I was young and at that time, children didn't listen to adult conversation. Oh, I see. That yeah. was just the way it was in my family. If the adults was going to talk about something like that, they would have sent the children out 
outside. They would have never, uh, you know, talked to them in front of the kids. So I didn't hear a lot, but I will say none of them ever talked about anything with it being, and my dad had, well, he's, he's gone now, but he's been gone about 12 years, but I was already up here and had been here a number of years before he passed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've talked to him many times um, about up here, and he never, he said there was some things occasionally that didn't make sense, but that's all he would say. He wouldn't go into detail. He wouldn't say what it was that didn't make sense. So, and my parents were kind of on the older fashion to where they didn't really, that was kind of taboo to talk about that kind of thing. So they didn't do that, you know, on a very regular basis. I see. How long was the? How long was it empty before uh, the people took, uh, b- bought it in two thousand one? Um, I'm thinking it was something like ten years. Oh, okay. Um, and it had said here with it, it was always owned. It was never just abandoned, and that, that kind of is not the term to use. But it's just that the owner didn't appreciate the building. He actually wanted it torn down. Right. He knew that there was, this was prime real estate up here on this hill, so he wanted to sell it off for the real estate. Um, after he was told that he couldn't tear the building down because it was on the National History Register, uh, he was willing to get rid of it at that time. He didn't want no more part of it. I see. So it sat here for a number of years with, and because he didn't care about the building itself, he would just let the kids come up and hang out in the building, and they broke every window out, of course. When they closed this building down um, from it being Woodhaven, it sat here just like it was being used. They did not take anything out of this building. The kids would come in. They broke up all the furniture. They broke up tubs. They broke up uh, sinks. I mean, anything and everything. They let people come in and strip the copper out of the plumbing. So it was really, really in rough shape. They just didn't care about the building whatsoever. So at least the owners that bought it, they did have a heart and they did care about the building. And, you know, for that, we're all grateful. Is there one area of the uh, building that is, you know, there's more activity, I guess, than others? I get asked that a lot, and I, I think that depends on who you're, and of course you're talking to me now, so I'll give you my opinion, but I say no. People say, where's the most haunted place in the building? It can be anywhere at any time, and you don't know. That's just it. One day you might be up on the second floor, which I have been because I do love the second floor, but um, I've you know, been up there and had things happen, and then you might come in for a month every day and not have anything happen, but it may be happening up on the fourth floor. So it could be anywhere at any time. There's really no way to say this right here is definitely a hot spot. I mean, there's some spots that we probably have seen maybe more often over, you know, if you took a poll of everyone that's been here. Um, And of course the fourth floor, you know, being the surgery and and after surgery, you was held on the fourth floor. So either you lived or you died on that floor pretty much. So that is a very active floor. The fourth floor has always been known for that. Um, But to me, it can be anywhere in this building at any given time. Hmm. Um, so have you overnighted at the, at the property? Oh goodness. Yes. Oh Oh, yeah. I wasn't sure if that was like, no, I'm not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I used to give overnight, uh, for our guests that would come in to investigate. So I've spent many nights in the building, but, 
Um, you, and it's cool. I mean, you'll sit there and you may watch shadow people down the hall. You might even see a full apparition. Uh, there's just, you know, but you may sit there one night and see absolutely nothing. So, you know, there's just no guarantees and there's no guarantee on where or when. And, you know, you have to just let it happen when it happens. And I think we all know that that are here now and we respect that. And that's why we don't, you know, we don't push people. And I always tell people on my tours, I respect your opinion. Uh, You know, if you're not a non-believer, that is fine because, hey, I've been there. I was a non-believer myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think most of us that are here now was, you know, at one time very skeptical about all of this. But after so many things keep happening that cannot be seen, and trust me, we do look. I will look for any possible reason for something happening before I say it was paranormal. We don't just jump and say, oh, my God, I've seen something that was paranormal. <laughs> we do not do that. We actually investigate. Sometimes it was a car that went by. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was a motorcycle we heard down on the highway. You know, you have to investigate things. Right. But there's so many things that could not be answered that you have to know there's something here. So I, I assume you hear a lot of voices and that sort of thing, just conversations. Um, we do hear uh, muffled voices. Um, some of the things that I've heard most are children. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was given a tour one night, and a baby started crying. A baby. Wow. And, I mean, it was right there in our group. Everybody was, like, looking at each other like there's – and, of course, we don't allow children in the building on the night tour. So there was no baby in there, but everyone in the group heard this baby. Um we, we hear dog tags or like a chain dragging, like a dog dragging a chain down the hall. Mm-hmm. That's another common thing that's heard in here. Um, oh, my gosh. Music, like old, especially where I'm at down here. I love this room because I, I guess because my grandmother worked here and I just feel so drawn to it. But uh, a lot of times we'll hear like music box music, but it sounds like it's in a tunnel. You know, it's not like, like right here in your face. It's like a distant music box playing right. and you just listen to it. You, you know, you might hear it five, six, eight, ten seconds and then it's gone. Huh. But, you know, there's nothing down here that's turned on, you know, there's, there's just no explanation for it. I just had, I I was curious, I was reading about your father, uh, and he worked on the body shoot? What exactly is that? Yeah, he did. Um, So there was a tunnel that they built, because we do sit up pretty high on a hill, and back then, I mean, of course, right now, this is very, very populated, but at that time, this was very rural. Dixie Highway wasn't even paved. In fact, they paved Dixie Highway with the cinders that came from our boiler. So that's just another little tidbit there. But but it wasn't even paid. It was just a little rock road. And uh, they needed a way to get items up here, uh, especially in the wintertime when they needed to bring supply up the hill. And not, not everyone wanted to come up here and deliver stuff. So they used that as a supply tunnel. They built it. It goes all the way down the hill off almost to the railroad tracks beside Dixie Highway. And that was a way that they could uh, bring supplies up that was needed. Uh, however, when it did get so pop, I mean, when, when tuberculosis was at its peak, they, they were losing easily a death an hour for years. Wow. Uh, and they needed another way to get these bodies out of here because we have a very large 
what you call a solarium, which is like a big wraparound porch around the back of the building. And they would push the patients out. They would wheel them out of the room every day to sit out there on that screened-in porch mm -hmm. to get sunlight, fresh air that they thought was going to be the cure. So all of these patients that were laying out there every day would see all of these hearses pulling up constantly, which was terrible right. for morale, as you can imagine. So they decided, hey, we can use that tunnel to take bodies down and they'll never see them leave. So that's what it turned into. It turned into a body chute, which was a cart that was connected to a motor and they could lower this cart down to the bottom of the hill and down there they would uh, take the bodies off. There was a table down there. Uh, <laughs> Dad told me it was a, a two-person table. Uh, it had a place to put two bodies. And then they would wait for uh, a local funeral home if the family could afford a funeral. But these were depression years, and not everyone could. So a lot of the bodies uh, weren't picked up by family. So those bodies were loaded onto train cars down there. The train track actually had a stop at the bottom of the body chute. They could load those bodies on the train track. They would take them over to university, um, well, university, well, University of Louisville, they would take them over there, use them as cadavers, you know, in, in the search for a cure or whatever they needed the bodies for. And then, unfortunately, they would call my dad and he would go back and pick them up, just, you know, bits and pieces and body parts. And they brought them back here and they buried them in huge mass graves uh, throughout the, the property. Yeah, and, gonna... of course, they are still here. They have never been dug up. No one has ever found them. <clears throat> I have been told where they're at, but I will take that to my grave just out of respect <laughs> um, until they're dug up, and they probably will be before that time comes. But um, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's got quite a history. That's that's a lot different than what I was imagining. I was thinking it was like yeah. sort of a log plume type thing where. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's what, uh, you know, people that come up here, they say, oh, man, we want to slide down. Well, it's not <laughs> like that. You know, it is a gradual downgrade that, you know, they were on a car that was attached to a motor. So it's, it's <laughs> it was interesting to see that. I saw it on my tour. And one of the things I thought about because you can't see the end of it. It's that long. It's that dark okay. down there. And they had told us on the tour that a nurse would walk and accompany the body on the cart down the chute. And so if we can't see the end of it and you, and it goes, I mean, it's quite a distance up and down stairs. And so to think about the, not only the tuberculosis patients who had died but the nurses who were working there day in and day out who had to make that walk up and down that many times a day uh that was one of the things that stuck by me looking down this chute where you know she said some guests may want to slide down and others stare at it and say uh, -uh i don't want to go anywhere near that <laughs> exactly. and for these people that was their job they had to do that every single day multiple times a day exactly yeah, well, the nurses' dorm, I think that's where they, they may have got misunderstood. But the, one of the nurses' dorms, there was a couple, and one of them was at the bottom. So all of the nurses that lived down there in that dorm would walk up that to work every day. If they took a break and wanted to go home, they had to walk all the way down that body chute and back up that body chute. And trust me, if you've ever went to the bottom and come back up, you know not to do it again. <laughs> I mean, you just know. <laughs> Well, that made me wonder about the accessibility of the building. So for visitors, um, is, mm -hmm. is the handicap accessible? 
We are not handicap accessible. However, um, we do let people come if they have um, a wheelchair or scooter or whatever they're on that they can have a friend carry for them up to the next flight of stairs. And if the person is able to get up those stairs with someone helping them, then they can come. Unfortunately, at this time, we still don't have any elevators working. That's going to be a little while longer. Uh, but hopefully, it won't be too long that we can uh, welcome all guests. Okay. Um, do you have mediums that contact you to come there? And Oh, my goodness. We get so many calls. I mean, we get... You wouldn't believe answering this phone for over 20 years. <laughs> Some of the calls I get, and I never say I've heard it all now because I bet I've said that 3,000 times. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you get some very strange calls. And we get a lot of people that come up here that say they're mediums, and, and they could be. I mean, you know, that's not for us to determine. But we do get our share of, of mediums, um, you know, psychics. We're so, kind of at the point now where we do get so many that we kind of take it with a grain of salt because everybody that reads a book on, you know, um, paranormal thinks they're a psychic. So, you know, you kind of roll with that. <laughs> so uh, on a percentage basis, how many or what percentage do you think come there um, for historical, just because the historical part versus the paranormal? You know, it's probably almost 50-50. We get a lot of people, especially not just younger, but we get a lot of people that are just coming to the knowledge of Waverly Hills that are definitely in it for the paranormal, you know. After you've been up here and you've seen things, then it's interesting. You wonder why they're here. Then you start looking at, well, what it was like when they're here, and then that brings you back to the history. So I think most people that come up here, even if they're just, for a good time, hope to see something or whatever. I think eventually those same people usually come back and want to know the full history of the building. So I would say it's about 50-50. So, Brian, um, how long did your tour last, and uh, what tour did you sign up for? So I was there for work. I was escorting the reporter and photographer team who were there doing live hits for their morning show, uh, so I wasn't on a traditional tour that I did. I went with them and one of the guides um, just kind of when they were finished with the with the television portion, they had asked, do you guys want to see the rest of the building? And, of course, uh, everyone did. So I wasn't on one that was a, a classic a sign-up version, but it was almost uh, – it was a neat experience because you could see how much the people who work there – care about the history of it because they didn't have to be doing this for paid ticketed guests. We were just there and they wanted to share the excitement and the knowledge with us after the, the TV segment was over with. And it's funny listening to the description of how people come there, what their expectations are, what, what they want to see. I was almost identical to what you described. I was very interested to see the paranormal and the, you know, the, the ghostly side of Waverly Hills. And after I finished on the tour, I, I immediately got on Google and wanted to look up all the history because it was so mm -hmm. interesting. So mm -hmm. you, you will end up getting both. I, it's hard to imagine going there just for the Halloween experience and not wanting to take away the history afterward because it is so interesting. Exactly. It is. 
Charlene, what do you guys have going on for Halloween? Do you have some special event going on? Uh, we do. In October, we have our annual, uh, it's our largest fundraiser that we give. Um, of course, every penny that we make up here, we're nonprofit. It all goes back into the building. Um, and right now, we have our haunted house going on. And um, there's several different packages you can choose from. You can come up if you're just, a, you know, a lot of the younger kids, they just want a good scare. And they come up and go to the haunted house, but a lot of their parents and grandparents, they want to see more. So they'll buy the next packet that lets them do um, a tour after they go to the haunted house. Uh, and then there's still another packet that gives them some extra perks along with that. So there's different packets you can purchase. Uh, to come up, and that is on Friday and Saturday nights right now, and we open the gates at 8 p.m., and we close them at midnight, and uh, we're always packed, <laughs> but it's it's never a terrible wait, and it's always a good time. I mean, we have activities going on outside even while they're waiting, so, you know, we we care about our people. We really do. This is not just something to make a bunch of money. Um, I personally don't care anything about the money. <laughs> Honestly, mm -hmm. I just want to share the love of Waverly Hills. So how long does the tour last? Um, we have different lengths of tours. We have um, paranormal tours that are done at night. Those are generally on Friday and Saturday night. We do them at 8, 9, and 10 p.m. And those tours last about two hours each, and they're $29 per person. Or if you want to spend a little more time and kind of have some free time while you're here, you can purchase a six-hour investigation, and that's also on Friday and Saturday night from midnight to 6 a.m., and that is 90 per person. Now, if you're a group and you want the whole building to yourself, you can do that. We offer private investigations that will give you the building uh, in our normal season, not October's a little different with everything because of the haunted house, but in our normal season, you could do that. Uh, and that is from uh, 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. I'd stop and think for a minute. So we do that as well. And um, is there a certain number of people that that would include? Yes, for the private, there is. It is a group of 10 or paying the equivalent of. Now, we do have people that come up here with one or two and pay for the whole building, and, and that's perfectly fine as well. Okay. Um, and then, so if you just want the historical day tour? Mm -hmm. We um, do that on um, a Sunday. We give a historical each Sunday. And uh, then we give one through the week for people that are coming from out of town. Uh, or just want to come and visit us through the week. It's either on a Tuesday or Thursday of each week, and we alternate between Tuesday and Thursdays. Which is the package that lets me ride the body shoot? <laughs> <laughs> just take an overnight, and you can walk at body shoot all you want. <laughs> are, are there any places that are off limits that you don't allow guests to go? Um, there is a wing of, of the first floor, a small portion of the building that is locked off, and that's just because they're still doing some um, maintenance and stuff down there, just uh, you know, taking care of the building that needs to be done. 
Um, and there's a few rooms that they have storage in just for like our props and stuff from Halloween are locked up during the year. Right. So, but no, pretty much the whole building. Is there any, like anything else on the grounds that, um, cause I know you mentioned like the mass graves and stuff and are there other buildings that people explore? There is not. This unfortunately is the only building left up here. Uh, the laundry room that's attached, um, and the building itself, and they're attached through a tunnel underground. Okay. Uh, but that's that's about all we have left of uh, of Waverly, and and that's what we're trying so hard to save. Okay, fair enough. All right, Cap. One more question. Um, so, has anyone captured on video, photos, um, you know, any spirits or something unusual? Definitely. Oh yeah, we get. Um, we get a lot of pictures. We get a lot of EVPs. Uh, if you're not familiar with an EVP, that's an electronic voice phenomenon. And really that just means that a recorder can pick up sounds that you're unable to hear by just listening. Um, and we get a lot of that. Um, we get quite a bit of that in the morgue as well. And I will say that in the morgue, every time that I have caught an EVP in the morgue, there's always a whistling sound either right before or right after I get an EVP, which is so strange. Not sure what that is, uh, but a lot of people get that. Um, but we do, we get pictures. I mean, there's so many of us up here that love the building and any extra time that we get an opportunity to take photos, we do. Uh, and then we get a lot of people that come up and do overnights. And a lot of times we will, they'll show us something on their camera <clears throat> and we don't want people to say, well, they doctored that up. So we don't wait until they go home and have time to do something and send it back to us. We will actually ask them if we can take a picture right off of their camera. So we get it directly um, before they've had a chance to do anything to it. So we have some pretty interesting photos. Um, and so as we promote this episode, um, is there any promotional materials, photos that you could share with us that we could um, help to promote the episode? Um, if you want me to email you a few, I could probably do that. But, um, they're on sure. my phone. I like to show them sometimes to our guests when we do tours and what have you. So, yeah, I'd be happy to send you a few of those. Great. I think that would definitely, uh, the listeners, I'm sure, would love to um, to see some of the things that, um, that different people or yourself have witnessed. Uh -huh. um, so. Okay. Yeah, I will do that. I will send you some. Well, this has uh, been a great episode. We've been trying to focus a little bit on the backstories of tourism, and um, mm -hmm. definitely uh, Waverly Hills was one that we were hoping to to be able to cover. So, I so we're so glad you did. We appreciate it, really. Yes, this is uh, very fascinating. Uh, Matt, I know that you can't wait to go down the body sheet. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, if you get a chance to do it before me, let me know how it goes. <laughs> I will. I, we might have to plan this one together. Oh, yeah. There you go. Are you, do you have uh, your overnight uh, tour scheduled? <laughs> I've got my bag packed. Do you have your overnight tour scheduled? I'm ready to schedule it. I got my bag packed, and, and I remember uh, – 
extra batteries. That was what they told the camera Definitely. crew. Definitely. Yes. Yep. Yes, it will drain your batteries. This is true. Oh, I, yes, I wanted to ask about that because I saw um, in some reporting of this um, where um, the journalist was saying that as soon as they went inside, the um, batteries, mm-hmm. the microphone had died. And oh, then yeah. also to the camera. Well, you know, the spirit is energy, and they have to gather energy to be able to do what they do. Uh, So even to manifest, they have to have enough energy uh, to be able to do this, you know, so that you can see them. So, yeah, they will drain batteries from your cameras. Uh, You take in extra batteries. Um, You know, you definitely bring extra batteries because they will will go through quite a few batteries while you're here. (laughs) See, I'm thinking these spirits are like in, uh, you know, cahoots with the battery company. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) That's not a lifetime lifetime contract. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. Lord help you if you drive a Tesla. (laughs) A lifetime and beyond. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you both so much for being our guest today. You're very, very welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, you can send those to Kat at IWritePlays at Outlook.com, or you can write to me at BackstorySessions at gmail.com, or Matt at Level11Ventures.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.